Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, you know this is Dr. Rob, and I'm always, always really glad that you have the time and energy to join us. I do want to remind you before we start that we've had over a million downloads of this show, and so I know that you folks are wanting good content and you really want to learn how to heal yourselves and your relationships. And so I am so grateful that Dr. Jessica Higgins has joined us because her meaningful focus and experience really is on the healing and stability of couples. And I know some of you come in and you're individually struggling, but most people come to see me or Seeking Integrity because they want to restore their relationship and they have no idea how. And so this is really one of the main reasons I wanted to bring Dr. Higgins on. And let me just say something about her. First of all, she's a wonderful person and I really like her. And you know what? You guys know I never bring anyone on that I don't think is amazing or wonderful because I want to feel personally good about them to bring them to you. So let me tell you about Dr. Higgins. Dr. Jessica Higgins holds two graduate degrees in psychology, two coaching certifications, and over 20 years of experiencing helping her clients achieve successful results, and she does. She's devoted her professional life to helping couples navigate the terrain of long-lasting intimacy. And you know, folks, that can be a bumpy road. As the host of the Empowered Relationship Podcast, which by the way, I was able and fortunate enough to be on not so long ago. In the Empowered Relationship Podcast, she's helping people navigate the terrain of long-lasting intimacy more skillfully and more mindfully through her coaching and her online courses and her wonderful presence. I threw that part in. Clients transform pain and love into connection. Welcome, Dr. Higgins. I can't say how grateful I am you're here. Thank you so much to have me on your show. It's a really big pleasure and honor to be with you and your audience. We're like dual podcasters. You're on mine. I'm on yours. Like this is, this is like a friendship, you know, I kind of like it. I'll go shopping with you. You can go shopping with me. Like we'll continue this in other arenas. The reason I brought you on is not only because I like you and appreciate you, but your, your real expertise with couples. I mean, that is your focus. And you folks know, if you're listening, that so many of you are listening and struggling with trying to restore a a deeply broken or challenging relationship that has meant a lot to you, but now you're uncertain how to move on. And part of my focus at Dr. Higgins is to talk about things like anger and forgiveness and 
trying to manage each other's healing. And that's, I think, what our focus is going to be. So why don't we start out with angry couples? You know, you know the people that I work with. Most often, one partner has profoundly betrayed another, sometimes for 30 years. And the partner, understandably, is so filled with hurt and rage and disappointment and uncertainty about the future. And, and I expect it's going to take them a while to move through it. Mm-hmm. But how? what is that process? I mean, let's say I'm the person who hurt you and let you down and did these terrible things, whatever they were. And now you can see I'm really working on myself and I'm doing better and I'm kind of becoming the person that you had hoped I would be. But you're furious. And you're really struggling with, but you did this to me, and how can I forgive you? And after all that, I deserve, you know, all of that stuff that you're holding on to. And I just wanted to first talk to you, Dr. Higgins, about how do you help somebody who ultimately wants to find peace, but they're so stuck in anger and disappointment? Mm-hmm. Well, as you talk about, there is a developmental process, and when there's the immediate reveal of the betrayal and the trauma and all that that involves. I don't think it's viable to shift right into this of forgiveness or trying to really repair. I think there is some real stability and really assessment around what are we doing and how are we doing this? What are we committing to and really getting support around how to do that? And if you're trying to really focus on the phase around, we do have stability and the person that in you in this case has been. I've been working on myself. I've been going to support groups. I've been, right. you know, I've been really, I've been working on language and the empathy and I'm not the best at it, but I, you can see I've moved. Mm-hmm. So there is some grounding in the intention and the work that you're doing and that as a couple we're working towards. So there's that real shared understanding of what's happening. So as we start to really look at the interactions and you're saying, hey, look, you continue to seem angry or you're coming at me with a lot of criticism and what feels like control and what this looks like on the outside, it's really challenging to feel like we're moving into a more close, trusting equal connection. I feel like I'm always in the doghouse with you. And part of what happens is the anger, the criticism is often a protest, right? We're raising our hands saying, I'm hurt. I want your attention, but that's not what it sounds like often. It sounds like- No, it sounds like you deserve, and after what you've done to me, and I'm not making fun of anybody, this is how Mm -hmm. the anger expresses itself, which is now I'm important. Now I get the focus. Now it's my turn. Completely understand that. But there's not a mutuality in that. There's not a a relationship growth in that. There's more, I'm here and you belong there. And that's where we are until you do this or that or this or that. How can I move forward if I'm just so hurt and angry and deservedly so? And deservedly so. And so I think there is that repair process that we're talking about and gaining that stability. And once we have that and we can enter into looking at the relationship interaction and I can feel inside me that if I let go of this control or this managing, perhaps in my nervous system, that's closely associated with the trauma that occurred before. I was trusting you before. So if I let go and I start trusting you now, I'm going to feel the rattle of that, right? I'm feeling some association that, oh, you're on good behavior, quote unquote, because I've been on your butt or I've been watching you or I'm keeping things in check. And so if I start to let that go, what's that going to feel like? What's the, and I don't want to look like a fool or I don't, it's terrifying to feel like you, 
Yeah. I hear, I want a polygraph. I want a polygraph every three months. You know, I want to know, and I understand a drug addiction, you know, but, but as a, as someone who has an addictive problem that is not drugs like sex, I could make all the promises and you could polygraph me and I pass and then tomorrow I act out. So I think a lot of spouses are looking for a guarantee. You're right. right. It's like, I see this, but I'm not, I don't believe it. And before when I believed in you, you hurt me and I don't want to believe in you and trust you again because that's going to happen. But I'm not sure what you're doing is really real. And I want you to prove it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I totally agree with you that in any relationship, regardless of even how secure and safe and reinforced that is and the mutuality and the, the shared respect, it's there's no guarantee around we're not going to be betrayed. We're not going to feel shattered or terrified. You know, terrorized or even the sense of huge trauma when our loved one does something to hurt us. So one of the things though, I mean, I don't, it does feel worth saying, I don't think this is all or nothing. I think part of what I would really invite and encourage is that there is a incremental building of perhaps recognizing, maybe it's even acknowledged in the relationship and a lot of transparency oh, I'm doing the thing that's controlling because I'm scared. Or I feel the internal uh, like rattle and I I feel really insecure or I'm having old memories and I- But how do I get to that? Because I'm in a place of, I want to hold on to this anger. And the last thing I do is want to make myself vulnerable to you. So if I begin to say, well, actually I'm hurt and this is, I'm opening up to you in ways that you could hurt me again. And I think that's part of the problem is how do, how do I get to where you are, which is beginning to reveal and be more open in that way, because I'm not going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. So what is there a stage or a process between, you know, between I'm beginning to be willing to open up and, you know, you're not going to get a piece of me no matter what. Is there something in between? Well, I think this is really common. I think we're all dealing with sometimes internal conflict or different parts of ourselves. There's a part of me that really wants to trust you and feel that I'm not managing you and and you're showing up for me and what that feels like. That's a very different feeling to feel your person really engaging by their own free will and really choosing, right? That's a Mm -hmm. very different sensation. So there's a part of me that wants to participate in that. And then there's a part of me that's terrified and knows that my best, or there's a lived experience in the past that my best strategy is to control or to try to manage or criticize or keep my finger on someone, that that's a way to protect myself. You know, I really, really value what you're saying, because what I hear you saying, it's a real conflict, because Mm -hmm. if I control and manage and rage and, you know, distance myself for self-protection, then if I let go of that, that's going to be really the only way that I can begin to trust you. Because while I'm running the show, I I can't really trust that you're taking it on yourself. Mm -hmm. But if I sit back and I see what you do and take on the person who's hurt me, then I can begin to say, oh, look, they're doing that and they're doing that. And I'm not having to nag them about going to therapy. And they seem to be embracing the process on their own. So that is where we want to get to, right? Is to sit Mm -hmm. back and observe and say, I can rebuild trust by watching what's going on, but not if I'm managing what's going on. Is that is that what you're saying? I'm absolutely saying that. And I think one way of perhaps looking at this is what is created in the healing is a new relationship. 
I can't create something that's more evolved or healthier, more connected, more secure, operating in the same ways that led me to trouble or led our relationship to a place of real disconnect. So there's a willingness of both people to participate mm-hmm. in something new that is terribly emotionally risky. And also this is how we build trust. This is how we build a level of intimacy that comes from that deeper reveal, the transparency and the vulnerability. So it is sometimes I want to trust you. There's a big part of me that just wants to like ask you all the things you did and wants to get the breakdown and and double check and be the like attorney in this. And then there's another part that just is terrified to let go and just trust you. And I want to like Mm. making that visible can be helpful in the learning curve of this, of interacting in a new way that does feel trusting, that does feel mutual that does feel regarding. And I think sometimes having support is helpful to kind of create these new moves, create a different Mm -hmm. cycle. And I think there's a lot that can be generated when we have this in mind and we're very intentional about this and it's not easy. So that is kind of what you do in the terms of being the intentional because you are intentional about your work. So let's be more concrete. A couple comes in your office and, you know, let's say I'm the male heterosexual couple and I have been hurting you for years. I've been using money you didn't know about to buy cars. I've been having, you know, an affair. I've been having, you know, this is a serious rift in the relationship and you have a couple and you know what this is. One is at one end of the couch. One is at the other. There's a big space in between physically. How do you even begin to approach with this couple a path toward moving from, you did this to me, I'm so sorry, I can't forgive you, I wish you'd forgive me, you know, that kind of back and forth. Mm -hmm. How do you move from that to listening, to being curious? Because that's a, people are holding on to those things tightly. Please, Mm -hmm. please forgive me. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. You ruined my life, you know, back and forth Mm -hmm. and back and forth. Mm -hmm. How do you move a couple forward? Yeah. Well, fundamentally, one of the things I'm really trying to hold and really attuning to both people's perspectives is really trying to get a deeper understanding of the core, maybe insecurities or the fears or the attachment longings. Sometimes I I know it can be really classic that in a heterosexual relationship where a male has stepped out or is cheating There's a deep longing for intimacy and closeness. It's just the language and the process of how to come to their partner with that is felt not available. So it's easier almost to just get relief or get a need met on on the side. But aren't you blaming the partner? Like they're not enough. They're not giving enough. They're not doing enough. And so I run elsewhere because I feel like I did everything right. 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 So, so part of what I'm focusing on is understanding less about the blame or the criticism, because that's again, what's, what it's going to look like on the outside is, oh, you didn't do this. You weren't super warm towards me. You weren't super soft and available. You were busy in career. I didn't think you wanted me and I didn't feel sexy. That's how I defend myself. Totally. Mm -hmm. And if there can be a deepening and the safety that's created in, in the session and in the relationship, therapeutic relationship and rapport, and the, the person that has cheated is willing to explore a little bit more and understanding, okay, what, what was in that for me? Mm-hmm. Tell me, like, you know, talk about if you can and if you're willing, 
what were you seeking? What, what did that mean to you? What did that allow you to feel? Did you feel? Validation is what most of the men I work with are looking for over and over and over again. Yes. And they're running away from the closeness to their partner, which is actually where they could get their needs met. But that's where trauma comes in or whatever their issues are that they distance. So a lot of the men I work with, I say, you're running away from home. Yeah. And what you most is what you most need is to run toward home. Well, just to add to that, that I would say most people maybe have experienced a learning growing up that that wasn't part of the modeling and the lived experience. So there's really no language or no moves that give someone the confidence that, oh, I can turn towards home and that will help me get my needs met. Like that's not been the avenue. And so it can feel like I get it unintellectually, but I was at a loss and maybe I wasn't even acknowledging my needs or what I was feeling on a deeper level. Therefore I was kind of operating unconsciously. And I don't know that I would say the average person doesn't say, oh, I'm going to have an affair today. Like they, (laughs) it's this, you know, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're starving. And then somebody starts paying attention, isn't enamored and like, Ooh, that feels good. And then it's like this Mm -hmm. slow progression of like, I make this okay. Then maybe we'll just on a lunch break hover and, you know, talk a little bit more and then, Oh, let's have lunch. And it's this progressive thing that seems very innocent. And then all of a sudden there's an emotional affair and then, you know, it has a slippery slope to it. But I do think being able to identify on a deeper level, what was that serving? What was that allowing the person to feel in this case, we're talking about the man in this scenario. So that can be really important to give some space and acknowledgement to without blame, but just like, this is important. You know, it's interesting you say this because it aligns completely with the work that we're doing in Seeking Integrity, which is I say to men, they want to throw out the, ba- the, the baby or the bathwater. This is all bad. And what I have to say to them is know what you needed and what you were looking for and what you're hoping to get from the sexual acting out, whatever it was, that's perfectly understandable. That's not wrong. But the way you went about trying to get your needs met is destroying you. And so is there a way we can talk about what it is you really need and want comfort, support, validation, whatever it is, but you're not running away from the, the place where you'd be most likely to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. We have to split what I needed from how I carried it out. But you mm-hmm. know what? If I'm an angry partner, I don't care about any of that. That's just a bunch of psychobabble. You ruined my life and I hate you because that's where we're starting. One of the things that I've seen really good therapists do, which I think I'm sure you do, is have a couple sit down and say, I want to say to my spouse, I'm going to tell you everything I went through growing up. I'm going to tell you every single thing. You don't have to feel compassion. You don't have to feel empathic. You don't feel bad for me. But I really want you to know how I got here. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, what I see in partners is a, a bit of an opening up like, wow, mm. I don't want to feel bad for your pain because I'm so angry at you. But listening to that, there's something that triggers in me and a bit of an understanding. And then you turn to the other partner and say, I want to hear everything. Is that something that you find useful to have them kind of reintroduce themselves to each other, but in a very different way than you do when you're dating? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. It's fundamental to my work. And I tend to resource a lot of the emotionally focused therapy principles. And that is part of the understanding is what was your imprint from an attachment perspective? And what was your shaping and learning around how you knew comfort, how you knew connection, and that deeply informs our our moves and our tendencies. 
and the the dynamic inside a session, while the content might be familiar, it's not new information, the way in which the partner's understanding, oh, you, it wasn't safe for you to talk about your emotions. It wasn't safe for you to- That beat the crap out of you. Right. Or conversely, the only way that I got attention was by yelling. Or mm-hmm. the only way I got a need met was when I threw a fit. Or- it wasn't safe and I had to deflect and sneak things on the side to get anything that I wanted or need needed. And so I just learned to be a little bit stealth about getting my needs. I wasn't safe to advocate for them in relationship. They weren't turned toward. Well, I needed to have control over how I got my needs met so that nobody could hurt me anymore. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I, not only did I not learn it, but I had to figure out how to get something. Mm-hmm. And many, many of the men I work with have transactional relationships growing up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my purpose, and this is my experience. I had a mentally ill mom, so my purpose as a child was dad wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he basically said, here you go, son, you take care of mom. I'm going to work. That's my job. And so many of the men I work with grew up not really with a focus on them and who they were, but mm-hmm. what they did needed to do to please their caregiver in order to get what they needed. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how you think that might play out in a marital relationship where I don't know what I need and I don't know how to get it. And I do feel like I'm going to end up taking care of you. And how how does that move from that's what happened to me to, you know, I kind of see that you're not wanting me to take care of your rescue. You might love me for me. Most of the men I work with hate themselves already. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I'm a piece of shit. I'm a bad person. I can only prove myself by working or by doing this or that. Yes. I do think that when we fast forward, when you're looking at maybe what one might call people pleasing or the nice guy kind of syndrome and- On the outside. On the outside. Right. And if we fast forward that, there can be deep discontent and even abandonment of self or even might even run into a scenario where they're getting attention elsewhere outside the relationship and this- Again, like the slippery slope leads to an affair. And part of what we're talking about is how do we make conscious in a safe way where there can be contact with how important this is, how valid it is, and also the experience that when I show that to my most important person, that even if they're so upset with me and the betrayal and the egregious nature of what happened. And yes, I think again, the immediate shatteredness and trauma of the event, like that aside, when we get that stability, that my partner, my most important person can see that and hold that and attune to that. And you mentioned understanding, I would add empathy and Mm -hmm. the desire to want to help. Like it's almost like the earth shifts on its axis, being able to qualitatively feel that, wow, I just revealed this and was acknowledging it to some level. And again, I don't think this is all or nothing, even some part and that part is seen and understood and met. Like there's a lot that can be complete transformation in that. You know, I, I love what you're saying because it speaks to what's underneath the the struggle that they're having but and sorry what i often see with couples and i think what i often hear especially from the women i work with and i understand by the way there are homosexual couples they're trans this is just the most typical person that we see is a heterosexual couple for various reasons in my world but what i what i often hear is i've been working really hard and when are you going to forgive me mm-hmm. or i'm never going to forgive you or 
I've got to forgive them. You know, I'm not going to move. So this whole issue for forgiveness comes up a lot and it feels black and white, like, okay, I've forgiven you, but then why am I so angry? Or I can't forgive you. Or what is forgiveness and how do you negotiate people into that place? And is it just something they get to, or is there some kind of process to forgiveness? Hmm. Oh, I remember. Let me ask you 12 questions all at the same time. Sorry. About that. Well, the first thing I want to respond to is I remember, and I think this was my master's program, my counseling psychology master's program, and I was doing a paper on forgiveness. And I think, I kid you not, there was 350 definitions of forgiveness. So I do think depending on the school of thought that one is coming from when they're approaching the topic of forgiveness, I, I do think there's some nuances. And I think it can be hard to really pin down to your point around like, what are we dealing with here? And let me, let me add to that for one one more thing, spirituality and religion. You know, we are told to forgive. We are told to be open-hearted and, you know, there's pressure. I want you to forgive me. My spiritual life says you must find forgiveness. You know, there, there's a lot of pressure on that person to, to forgive. And sometimes they say the words, but they're not really there. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do you help them find their own peace within rather than saying, okay, fine, I'll just forgive you. I mean, how do I know when I'm ready? And what does that really mean? You know, does it mean I'm not angry anymore? Does it mean, I know you said there are 150 definitions and I'm pushing into that, but spouses really need to understand how to move forward with a feeling of letting go of this, the opposite of that control and I'll never, you know, all of that. I appreciate you bringing up the control piece again, because I think this is one aspect that makes forgiveness really, really difficult is the sense that if I stay resentful, if I stay angry, somehow that's teaching the other person a lesson or they're in some level of restitution to me. And I think that that's a real fallacy. Wait, wait, can you explain? I don't even know what the word fallacy means sometimes. Can you explain? It's it's an illusion. It's some misattempt that we're, I've heard the saying of like, oh, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to be impacted by that. I don't think we have direct control over someone else and are able to control them as much as we might hope and attempt to do. But it's safety seeking. It's safety safety seeking. seeking. Yes, Yes. And of course, we're going to have the human impulse to want to have repair. And so I think the human impulse to want to feel resolution is really healthy. How we do that, I think is important. I think there's some level of grieving here that I want to acknowledge that there's some acceptance of, I don't have a marriage where I can say we never cheated on each other. That naive trust that when right. you go out the door, I know you will always have my back mm-hmm. and you would never do anything that you know will hurt me. And now that's gone. You mm-hmm. haven't had my back and you did go out there and you did things you knew would hurt me. And and that's sort of what I hear you saying is how do you sort of put those things together? Because what, what we had is gone. Well, I think really grieving that this did happen. Right. Sometimes I think the control is some attempt to make um, turn it into something that's not or hoping that we can do that. And sometimes there's a level of just surrendering and a real acceptance that this happened. I know that sounds a little weird that we, of course, know it happened, but on an emotional, on a real heart level and a real meeting it and it's in its entirety. And I don't know that we do that in one fell swoop. I think it is a progression. 
Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.